will totally steal BII for you. BII is the acronym for all of the random shit that you need to be allowed to drive around in an armored vehicle, right? The, the, the measure of trust in a unit is I will steal shit from other people so that we can go do cool, cool guy shit. Information gets around and it gets around very quickly and very efficiently. So, you know, even in an, uh, uh, a tightly information controlled environment like the Russian military, if if shit's fucked, the guys on the ground know that the shit's fucked. Thank you, Portland. Okay, we have uh, Jerry, and then we have Gurney with their hands up. Jerry. Thanks, Stoneman. Uh, returning to that thought experiment that opened this line of conversation, um, from my perspective, the shape of the battle space is thus. To the south is a bridge. To the east is a long straight road with very little cover. Uh, to the west is a uh, are Ukrainian, highly massed Ukrainian forces in a bulge uh, deepening into the uh, urban landscape. Uh, and to the direct north is uh, open country. And about uh, once you get 20 kilometers north of the suburbs, you're out of range of any Russian harassing fire, indirect fire. If I try to move to the east along this long straight highway, about 100 kilometers, I face flanking indirect fire, persistent flanking indirect fire, and uh, sporadic, if not persistent, uh, direct fire. Uh, what's been exhibited to me with two holes in my escape across the bridge, two holes that are approximately two meters apart and about a full meter in diameter, one of those holes very, very close to his to a uh, supporting span, a supporting truss. If I look at that, that was uh, demonstrated in fairly fairly visible. Uh, I'm thinking, if I'm a thinking guy there in Hirson, thinking red, I'm thinking that isn't going to be long for me. If I'm looking east along that 100 kilometers of straight uncovered highway, uh, with flanking indirect fire that's self-evident uh, and not much not much counter battery nearby counter batteries across the river I'm thinking <clears throat> that isn't really a great way to go there is this railroad bridge that maybe we could go across in single file slowly stepping tie to tie and eh, that doesn't look like a great movement of people it looks like a movement of folks waiting for a train in a big cluster. And I'm thinking that the options are really, really narrow. And if somebody to the north of me offers me an opportunity to leave with my skin, but not anything else, I'm considering that maybe that's the best option. Now, maybe that's an American way of thinking. I don't know. Maybe uh, I've been so indoctrinated from my toddler, from my youth, that uh, I believe that there are uh, you know, inhumanity or such. Maybe that is an impossible thought for a, a group of opportunistic people. But if you are opportunistic, you're thinking this the the most certain opportunity. Walk north. Don't carry anything with you. There's a camp. Once you get beyond the 20 kilometer uh, harassing fire from 152 howitzers of your comrades to the south or on the left bank of the Dnipro. As you get beyond that, not much 
harm can come to you right now. You right now. I'm telling you this. I've been trained. If I've been educated in a military institute, if I have uh, understood irrespective of doctrine and all those other things uh, that my best opportunity is to accept a benevolent offer offer from my foe and suffer the embarrassment and humiliation to somewhat a, a, at least a warranty of uh, humanitarian, humane protection. You know what? I'm not thinking of my family. I'm not thinking of my dignity. I'm not thinking of Putin. I'm only thinking of now. It seems to me that those strikes on that bridge are meant for the thinking man. That bridge could come down across the Dnipro, could come down any moment. It's clear. It's abundantly clear. There are two full penetrations through that bridge, one of them a mere meter or less from a supporting span. That's not a way across. If I try to go across anyway, I'm probably going to be, I'm going to have, I'm going to face some I'll have to be under some pretty dire circumstances to do that if I'm going to do it safely. Uh, so uh, if somebody offers me a way out or offers me something to prosperity, offers a, an opportunity to save face in front of the people I'm facing with now, irrespective of SFSB floating around, NKVD, same thing, floating around, irrespective of those guys, yeah. Yeah, I'd take the offer. Oh, maybe that's the Western way I thought. I'll leave with that. I've got a meeting and a half in 15 oh, minutes. Before you go, can it's I ask worthwhile. a clarifying question about the geography I was following on the map while you were talking? Yeah. Okay, so so I think you're referring to the Ant- Antonovsky, is that how it's called? Bridge, right? Yeah, Antonovsky Bridge, the one that was uh, Ant- Antonovsky bombed, Bridge. right? Yeah, okay. Right. I see. Um, and then I see there is another bridge 50 kilometers to the north, and that one we we call it the unsunkable bridge, so to speak, because it's the one over uh, a dam. And so, like you're saying, that the, the bulge is on the other side of the Anto, well, the Ukrainian uh, attack force is on the other side of the Antonovsky bridge. And to the, the south. Idea is they, uh, to the south, to the south, I say. And the idea is that they would kind of like push, and then, uh, you know, this is kind of like the last chance of whoever um, of the occupying occupying force is on the uh, well northwest side of the river to just run across and just be gone, right? I don't think they can run across and be gone. I think, uh, well, it's abundantly clear that that bridge is uh, is not safe ground. Oh, so I thought that your narrative was like, you give me an escape route and I'll go before it collapses. Did, did I misunderstand? That would be ideal. That would be ideal, not, but not back to your comrades. You may come north to a camp where you will sit beside the road and wait to be told what to do. I see. I see. I see. I got it. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Luca. Uh, where were we? Next one up, Gurney. Hey, thanks, Damon. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening to whoever's out there. Um, I was just making a comment here. Um, when Portland was up and I think Moose was uh, saying something, you know, positive control. I didn't remember the context originally. I forgot. I forgot the context they were referring to the, the Russians not securing their stuff. Um, but anybody who's been in, you know, realizes, uh, yeah, you, you can be a thief, but you can also uh, you can also go around taking other people's stuff because uh, you're you're trying to. 
Um, you're trying to entertain the concept of positive control, and that is, is the, the equipment that you can't be without. Um, and so if you see your buddy uh, put something down or you see another unit put something down um, and you go grab it and you take it, well, that's not just for, for taking it for the sake of taking it. Uh, not talking about batteries and stuff like that, right? We'll, we'll, we'll steal them things uh, cold. But, uh, but important stuff, you know, people go around and do that because they're trying to teach the importance of um, never being without your gear, the gear that you have to rely on, the gear that, that – that will get you killed if you're without um and it'll get you know you might have your stuff together but but your battle doesn't have their stuff together right your squad doesn't have it together so you're doing that you're constantly doing that you're constantly policing around you just to make sure that everybody has positive control um to instill that and to ingrain that so that um the the kit you expect to be there since everything is sort of compartmentalized and everybody's carrying different bits of kit that that combine together to complete the mission uh you just want to instill that concept never you're never leaving anything uh around you're never leaving anything sensitive um and then that just you know from there it goes down to to other things like uh, food and ammo right less less sensitive things but things that you still need to have positive control over that you still need to safeguard and secure so i came up here just to add that but it was better when it was given the context of the russians so i'll park that for a second thank you Gurney. um we're going to go to darrow for a quick one for jerry and then to big pop and dry fly darrow yeah jerry hey uh i didn't want to uh i didn't want to downgrade what you say you were saying earlier when i was mentioning how we have to rethink how we look at the russians and uh there's the the eastern their eastern uh, values, etc., versus our Western. It was just pointing it out because it it, it is a real thing, and uh, you know it's not taken away from the comments you you made about you know giving them an out and you know giving them a way to come away from this in a bet in in a better place than they will if they continue to hold out and fight. Um, I just, it was just bringing out the reality of that mindset as, you know, we go back in their history and their culture and et cetera, and just bring that forward. Because a lot of times when we talk about things, uh, particularly, even if we would say talking about in Vietnam and the Vietnamese, how they, you know, how they did things there, sometimes we place our, our sentiments and values in places and on people that don't have, it. and so I was I was just bringing that up, and I didn't I didn't want to you know downgrade what you were saying. I just wanted to just make sure that we don't lose sight of who we were dealing with. Thank you, Daryl. That's well put. Um, let's go on to Jerry. Hope you hope you register all that. Let's go on to Big Papa the dry fly. Big Papa. Yes. Uh... About this uh, Kherson and the bridge and everything, I, I just had some thoughts on it. I, I'm definitely not a strategist or anything, but uh, could it be possible? Feed, uh, you know, they've been talking about Kherson for a while. Ukraine's kind of hinted that, that this is going to be the next push. And we've known, you know, the Russians started pushing more equipment and more men there. And just, I think just the territory is not going to turn the war, but could it be taking over a certain size of force. Uh, my point is, could it, everyone agrees with Ukraine, plan, plan, plan. They, they plan everything down to a T. So could it be a two-tiered uh, plan that they have to say, hey, we have this unique situation with this unique geography. There's no way they can hold this area. 
it won't it won't matter how many men they throw at it they can't hold it so why not let them put more men in it and then we we have a chance to take to really turn the tide of war if you if you uh liquidate or get to surrender a, a force of fifteen thousand men that's that's a huge victory and the reason the re, one of the reasons i s- say that or think that or I, i'm really just throwing it out to you guys to see if it's feasible that they're thinking this because they've had the ability to hit that bridge for weeks and weeks now and, and we've seen that the russians are moving that equipment over could it be that they possibly because of the geography because of the river and the bridge that they just let them get as many as they think they can take and then hit the bridge is that just wildly speculative i guess so the thing is big papa i don't think that this whole talk, talk of surrender that was you know that that started about two hours ago here in the space but you know for hours before we were really just talking about you know gently nudging them and persuading them and, and shaping uh the situation so they'd be inclined to either leave across that bridge or leave north across the bridge across the inhulets river right not the big river not the dnipro but north northeast towards uh uh, Novakakovka, effectively, right, going towards that dam as a, and, and leave the city of Kherson alone. So that that was kind of what was um, was being driven at here, um, not just not not so much actually getting them to surrender. Also, fifteen thousand, fifteen thousand is the entire force, I believe, on the right bank of the Dnipro. So the entire force in all of uh, the city of Kherson, or the suburbs of Kherson, but also north of the Inhulets River. Through, towards Krivirich, so not just the area that's um, not just the city of Kherson itself. Uh, so not all of them would be in that in that area, right? If anything, the garrison around Kherson, the city itself, uh, a lot of that is actually going to be Rosgvardia, uh, that is to say, Russian National Guard, as opposed to military. Um, all, you know, all military in that area. Right. I was just more more wondering about the timing. They had the capability weeks ago. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, the, the the timing I think has to do with um, Ukrainians wanting to clear off the major air defenses that Russians had in the area first, and uh, destroy their ammo supplies in the area. Right, those those hits on Novokhovka and Chernobyl, a few other places, also get rid of their command and control posts. Um, you know, I think they were doing a lot of preparation. If anything, and Gurney, maybe you can back me up on this. Right, it seems like Ukrainians have been doing a lot of preparations with the previous strikes before they went for the bridge. Not bridge first, but ammo dumps, uh, command and control, uh, air defenses, so as to make a much more credible push then, right? A much more credible push uh, towards the city of Kherson um, and a much more reasonable push towards the city of Kherson with uh, the mainline Ukrainian army. I got you. Thanks. Thanks, Papa. Uh, okay, let's go on to dry flight. And I, actually, just before you, before you start, I'm just going to say anybody who's up, who doesn't put their hand up, I'm going to cycle you down after 15, 20 minutes of, of sitting about, uh, because I assume that you found something other that you need to be doing. Um, and anybody else who wants to jump up, please request to speak using the mic button in the bottom left corner, and then you come up, you know, put, put your hand up so we know that you want to, want to say something. Uh, dry fly. Hello, yeah, I just want to comment that uh, Jerry kind of pointed out his number one fallacy is that he thinks like a Westerner and not like a conscript Russian. Now, having said that, I agree that on an individual basis, even on a platoon basis, we may see Russians um, surrender, and I think they will. But faced with a potential threat of, an, of impending potential threat of 
being wiped out by Ukrainians taking the city or by a potential threat of their family being wiped out by the by the FSB uh, back home, uh, given two potentials, they'll do nothing initially. It won't be until the action starts that something will will precipitate a decision, whether it's, uh, you know, fight or flight. And quite frankly, on an individual basis, on a platoon basis, I uh, it could go either way. So, yeah, absolutely. The Ukrainians should make every effort to try to get people to surrender. But to expect a mass surrender of a city based on a threat that hasn't been actually made real yet will be very, very hard for those Russian officers remaining with FSB looking over their shoulder with a gun to their head to uh, to make that decision. I, I would be absolutely stunned if that happens, even with the, the threat or the hint of threat with the bridge being blown. So you're going to have to see something happen. And then the key is, my estimation, the key is going to be unit by unit. You know, do people fight or do they flight? You know, and I have no idea what the percentages of those will be. I expect you'll see some of both. Um, and I also think Daniel's right. I don't think we have any idea how big the partisan and civilian response will be inside the city. If this is like way, everyone's using the the analogy of Stalingrad. I don't think it's analogous to Stalingrad at all. I think it's analogous to way in Vietnam during the Tet Offensive, where the absolute, the whole area just blew up on the, on the uh, Vietnamese army and the U.S. troops trying to hold, hold cities. And it came from everywhere. It came from outside the actual uh, invasion forces, but it also came internally block by block by block by the partisans who had infiltrated over the months and years uh, so I, I think that Stalingrad is a terrible analogy. I think if Kerrison is going to go anyway, it's going to go like Wade did in the Tet Offensive. And I will listen. And Dreyfus, do, do you want to explain how it went in the Tet Offensive for anybody who hasn't studied yeah, the Vietnam yeah, War? Yeah, I can. I actually have family that were in the northern part of Vietnam flying Cobra in support of Quezon and some of the bases. Um, it was absolutely incredibly peaceful almost like you're seeing now in Kherson it was the, the, the there were hints and rumors that the Viet Cong and the Vietnamese were doing something there was a lot of movement on the Ho Chi Minh Trail but no one really knew what the hell was going on and then like a switch it went off top to bottom the entire country so you had uh, cities being overrun literally from inside the city at the same time by that was by the Viet Cong uh, partisans that had infiltrated these cities. And it happened in Saigon, it happened in Hue, it happened in, in almost every major city in Vietnam, simultaneous with the NVA, their regular army, the, what would be the equivalent of the Ukrainian armed forces, coming out and doing frontal movements, okay? So you had cities internally blowing up inside with um, bombings and assassinations and block by block as the partisans took, you know, rose up. Sim almost simultaneous within the hour that the NBA were moving in on those cities. Way fell. They took way. They took way without any difficulty, really. And it shocked the hell out of the U.S. all the way back to the Pentagon. And it, and it shocked the, the Vietnamese. Now, at the end of the day, the North Vietnamese lost that battle. It took, I don't know, six weeks, two months for the U.S. to take way back, they had to go block by block through way to take it, okay? Um, 
And Hue is a city, just so you know, is on the actual border of North Vietnam. It's right up next to the uh, the DMZ. So we really weren't able to go into uh, North Vietnam to route out the, their support. Um, but we still went city by city, block by block in that in that time. And the losses were colossal for the U.S., much, much greater for the Vietnamese. Um, but that won the war for them in the long run, because what it did is it convinced everyone in the Pentagon and in Washington that the war was unwinnable. And how do we find an exit? OK, so I personally don't think that if case uh, if Kirsten falls, that that Russia is going to take it back. It's certainly not easily, but even if even if it turns into a stalemate after this, the message it's going to generate deep into the Russian psyche, both at the 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 citizen level and at the government level, was that this isn't winnable, and it may take a couple of years to completely route them all out. Unless it's you know they could collapse faster, but I, I'm not thinking it's going to happen fast. I think until Putin's gone. I think it's going to be something he's going to just hang on to. But the point is, is that you can win either way. You can win by pushing them out or you can win by shattering their belief that there will be hope. Now, were there civilians killed in way and during the Tet Offensive? Yeah, there were. There were a lot of them. Um, but it wasn't any worse than uh, other major battles in Vietnam that occurred you know, during and after, and it certainly was nothing like what happened with Pol Pot after, you know, the government got in control, after a government, an autocratic government got in control of the uh, of the population. Um, so that was in Cambodia. So I, I just think Wei is a much, much better analogy. It, it, it looks like Stalingrad because the forces are involved, but it really, the way the occupation is, it, to me, it smells a lot more like Wei. And that's my thought. So a precipitatory collapse is, is the, the short of it, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and Wei fell quickly. I mean, Wei fell to the Viet Cong and the Vietnamese very quickly. And it took the U.S. a long time to get it back. And, and I don't think the Russians would take back Kherson. But it was because of in, it was because the city rose up internally by partisans at the same time the NVA overtook it. OK, and they caught us caught the Americans in the North Vietnamese somewhat by, by surprise. If there's, if there's a problem with the analogy, it's that everyone sees Kirsten being the, the target, okay? And so the, the Russians have had time to prepare. During the Tet Offensive, it was a complete shock. However, it would not surprise me that they attacked some other cities, Donetsk, whatever, you know, that uh, Izium, and it is very much like way that the thing just crumbles, because the Russians aren't looking at it. They're caught by surprise. You get uprisings in, you know, in the countryside and in the city simultaneous with the movement. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a recipe for a country that's invaded to defend itself that is time-honored, and I expect to see it. I just don't know where it's going to happen. If it happens in Kyrgyzstan, um, it's going to be bloody, be a lot of people's law, but I think they win the city. I think it happens. And I don't think the Russians will surrender until they're faced with that decision, street by street, block by block, unit by unit. And quite a few of them will surrender, I think, given that choice. Thank you, Dryfly. Um, Raver had his hand up first, but I think he's busy for the second. So let's go to Jerry, and then we can always go back to Raver. Jerry. Yeah, the comparison to... Uh... Stalingrad is only on a political level. There's uh, vast differences. There's uh, in forces and who the aggressor was and 
there's vast differences. The objective uh, of uh, preventing a, uh, a, a rallying point, a Stalingrad, if you will, uh, by uh, uh, block by block, street to street fighting in uh, in Hersan is the only uh, reason I brought Stalingrad as an exa- in as an example. We don't want to. <laughs> I wouldn't I personally, and maybe others are much wiser. I'm sure they are. Uh, but I personally wouldn't want to give uh, the uh, give Putin a uh, a Stalingrad moment, an opportunity to say, "Here is where we're making our stand." You know, rally everybody. Let's cross the river in boats and keep supplying those scantily clad forces on the uh, on the left bank or the right bank. Could, could you know from the left bank? Do do whatever you can, you know, to save our boys. I'm not sure they put them in a position to say, "Oh." Our boys just left because we couldn't get anybody to them. We stacked way too many people in there. And now they're uh, doing the walk of shame through the North Country, through the open fields of the North Country. But they're safe. They're safe. The uh, comparisons to Way are uh, interesting. Uh, and I think, yeah, you could probably see, you could see a, uh, a, an infiltration, uh, I guess, uh, infiltrated uh, SBU forces as well as partisans. Uh, but the, there's a stark difference between Wei and that particular conflict and uh, and what's happening now. For months or maybe even years, KGB had uh, very effectively created uh, lists of intelligentsia who, to be assassinated in Wei. Uh, Wei was effectively a demilitarized zone. Uh, there was a fairly passive population. The administration was effective. Uh, and the objective of Charlie was to go in there and murder people off the KGB lists. That was the preparation that was made, that they held out on the Citadel uh, for a while uh, against Marine forces was a, uh, 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 you know, was a blocking maneuver. They knew that they were already beat. Uh, the objective was to, uh, was, was to create the rural popular uprising to give a, that rural population, a uh, uh, you know, a uh, yet again another uh, demonstration of the puppet in uh, Saigon, and uh, so there's a, there's a, quite a bit of a difference there in the you know in the alignment of forces, the political, strategic, uh, uh, well, the political uh, motivation behind that, and uh, uh, and the preparations that were made, the preparations that were made in way were you know orchestrated from the Kremlin. Lists were compiled uh, through Kremlin operatives, to F- KGB operatives that were uh, very much in force uh, in and throughout all that northern territory. So a lot of differences. Uh, you know, I could talk on and on about that thing. That was a that was a mess. Uh, but uh, they lost the battle hugely, and uh, yet. <laughs> propaganda worked uh, in disfavor to us a bit. So I'll just say that, you know, hey, uh, if I'm looking at that bridge and I'm a thinking guy, uh, if I've been trained in a military institute, I know that that thing is not going to stand. And if I expect to be re- resupplied, it's going to be resupplied by a boat. It's going to be skinny. And, uh, you know, if somebody offers me a chance to go north, hey, I might even have friendly forces to the north. There might be a very good reason to leave. Uh, and, uh, you know, if somebody has extended that offer uh, to the table, Sub Rosa offer, that, hmm, if you come here, uh, 
you're going to do better than keep your skin. You just have to bring a lot of your guys with you. I'm considering that. I'm an opportunist. I'm a kleptocrat. There's opportunity to thrive and live. I'm really thinking hard about it. But, hey, they'll do what they uh, feel is the most immediately to their benefit. I would. Uh, I think that's common among all humans. I couldn't possibly, I'm probably wrong, but I don't think that they've got many options left. Not with two holes in that bridge, two meters apart. That's a pretty clear signal to me. But I got to run off. Thank you, everyone, for this wonderful conversation, allowing me the opportunity to speak. Uh, uh, please donate to Myriad. Please uh, 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 retweet and share the space. Share and retweet the space. Uh, and expand the band. Let's expand the band. Thanks. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, and if you'll be so kind as to share and retweet, uh, click that big blue button in the bottom right corner. That'd be greatly appreciated. Thank you, Jerry. Talk to you later. Uh, go, let's go to uh, Raver. Oh, Gurney, you dropped his hand. You, you dropped your hand. Okay. Well, we can get to Gurney whenever because Gurney is a, a staple on our panel. Uh, Raver, and then to Dragfly. Raver. Yeah, you know, people talking about Stalingrad and, and Way. Um, I want to throw a, another up into the conversation that I think uh, may be a, a better fit for some like historical parallels, uh, history is prologue, and that's uh, Aachen, where the, the U.S. Army broke a couple of teeth uh, trying to chew out uh, German defenders that were about as over as any force in World War II was. Uh, urban combat, and I really wish uh, Major Guru or, or the, uh, Colonel Spencer were here, can really chew up uh, forces when your defender is also mechanized. Um, we saw it in Mariupol, uh, you know, where, you know, out of nowhere, here comes a Ukrainian BTR-80 or 84, whatever it was, chewing up the back of a T-72, you know, attacking from hides. So I, I think people might want to take a look at uh, the Battle of Aachen for an idea of how um, a mechanized attempt to take the city by storm fight and develop and curse on. I also think the cities are about the same size. And I'll go back to being quiet. Can you two want to jump in? Yeah, thanks, Dom. Um, I was going to jump in after Jerry um, and Raver sort of mentioned this again. So so maybe I'll, I'll add just a, a little slight counter narrative. But I always appreciate um, when I hear these historical viewpoints or, or when Raver um, comes up with some some of the historical viewpoints or, or even at times if, if he comes up for, you know, Raver, if you come up for, uh, you know, even to uh, to play a counter argument, even if, if you don't believe in it. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention was, I, you know, I. I can look, we can look at these examples, um, Way, Stalingrad, Aachen. Um, the one thing that jumps out to my, to my ear and to my eye, though, is just the, the modern day battlefield intelligence being so much different. Um, and so even if some of the, the on the ground situations, distance, size, some of the basics are still there, uh, my head keeps going back to there's just such a plethora of intelligence that is collected now in the battlefield. Everybody is a sensor, every single phone, every single cell network on top of that, the, the many eyes that look at these cities. So, so when I look at any of these siege type things, and then you add in all of those sensors and capabilities and you add in precision weapons, it sort of, for me, sticks out and, and looks um, it doesn't look analogous to those, um, meaning I don't think you're going to see extended prolonged sieges. Um, we, you know, going going back to Mariupol here with Azov, 
that was a little bit different. Now it was three months worth, but it ultimately ended. Um, and they had an underground, um, fortress type, type setup, and they had a pretty good setup within the, the steel complex, but nonetheless is, uh, that, that was a heavily fortified position. Um, uh, and, and that was against, um, a Russian adversary that didn't have as good collection means as I would say the Ukraines have, uh, as collection means. So even looking at that, that, that ended in, you know, a three month time span. I, I don't get the perspective that Hersan uh, would turn out even remotely similar, um, whether it was surrounded or whether they went in street by street, we're seeing most of these, uh, you know, if I, if we look at Lisi Shansk, if we look at, um, um, any of those towns have done that. the actions have been you know while they have been slow i would still say they've been relatively quick in terms of progressions and stops and starts um clearly you know contested fighting spaces um but ultimately in the grand scheme of things i mean it still moved pretty quick relative for for the cities and i and, and i only credit that with a you know with specific targeting with specific intelligence um Key strategic areas can make uh, a world of a difference um, tactically on the ground. So I, I, you know, my two cents worth is, is I don't think you're going to see any sort of grand, grand siege of Hersan. Um, if if one option is they choose to surround it or cut it off, um, whether the, the Russians acquiesce or not, um, there's just so much there, and that that also simultaneously cuts against the Russians. The Russian soldier has so much more knowledge um, than say, a soldier in Stalingrad or Aachen. And what I mean by that is, is knowledge of, you know, to Jerry's point, he's talking about they have a knowledge of the bridge maybe being targeted or may not work. Um, that knowledge that they have cuts both ways. It can instill fear in them. It can make them do other decisions, whether that's to pull out, whether that's to do a, a retreat, you know, some sort of organized uh, maneuver. But there's just so many information sources that are piercing the bubble that necessarily didn't exist um, in prior conflicts, you know, even going to weigh, I mean, radio contact being one thing, but, but some of those troops in one part of the city might not have heard of the other part for, for days or weeks, even with, um, the radio comms they had. And I think nowadays it's just the speed of that intelligence traveling and what you can collect and accumulate just happens exponentially faster. And so I see any of these as, as going a little bit quicker, whether that means the Russians choose to pull out or they choose to surrender at some point, or Ukraine chooses to take the city and they have um, house to house fighting to clear it. I just don't see the same historical analogs happening uh, just because the, the, the modern day intelligence is just so much quicker um, and so much more accurate with, with pinpointing strategic and, and tactical avenues to make these things uh, less of an issue. And in Stalingrad specifically, you know, it, it might've taken days or weeks to identify uh, a smuggling route into the city. And they stockpiled that city for, you know, for, for a year in advance. Um, some of these things aren't going to play out in Kherson, um, and then, you know, to add to the Hersan that they're in enemy territory, so to speak, that the partisans are in there. They're, they're not locals that are supporting um, the Russians. They'd be locals that are supporting the Ukrainians. So I see it actually, no matter what happens there, whether the, the city is bypassed, whether they're surrounded, uh, whatever choice the Ukrainians choose is clearly going to be, um, I, I think it would be fluid. The Ukrainians are going to react to what the Russians are doing. If the Russians are retreating, they may allow that. Um, if they're fighting and holding steady, maybe they, they make a show of it and a stand of it. But I, I would state, I would say that it's going to be fluid um, and it's probably going to be quicker than some of the historical analogs we bring up.
but uh, Raver, I, I love it when you add uh, all that perspective in, uh, just to think about, you know, to get the wheels spinning up in our heads. And Gurney, you have not had your say on this. Thanks, Raver. Yes, it is. And Gurney, you've not had your say on this. What do you reckon is um, the Ukrainians' approach here? Why are they shooting at the bridge? And obviously, they could do a lot more damage to it still compared to what they've done thus far. Right, but right now the, that Antonovsky Bridge is passable by car, passable by bus, not passable by truck. What's the significance of that? Why are they why why are they stopping at that point? Why aren't they putting more fires on it when they clearly can? Well, um, I think there could be a lot of reasons. You know, there there could be some simple reasons, and they can also tie in with others. I mean, one of them is simply the fact that um, you know. For instance, if the Ukrainians wanted to test their ability to target the bridge, the best way to test that assumption is is to do a fire mission. You know, can they get assets close enough? Can they target the bridge accurately? And can they survive counter-battery fire? Um, that's one part of it. Perhaps as a secondary trade-off in there, while they're planning that mission and saying this is what we want to do, they're also going to see how, how do the Russians react to this? Have they scrambled air? Um, have they have they moved troops in response of it? You know, they could be testing the Russians for their response to it, um, listening for radio chatter when the bridge is targeted like that. W- what are the Russians doing? What are the Russians saying? How are they reacting? Um, I think those go hand in hand with targeting it. Um, and then, you know, if there's the added psychological benefit of, hey, not only do we pull this off, we targeted the bridge successfully. You know, there's a third order effect there that the Russians now have to think, oh, they've targeted this bridge successfully. We can't hide it. Our troops are going to see it or we're going to reroute convoys. Um, so there's that psychological effect. I, I think it could be all of the above, but if I honestly had to pick one of those, I mean, all of those effects can draw from it. I think they're, um, I think they wanted to test, the Ukrainians wanted to test their ability of if they could do it. Um, and anything from there is just an ancillary benefit. So the Ukrainians have demonstrated they could, target the bridge and whatever assets targeted it hopefully got away successfully and the Ukrainians mapped out uh, whatever the, the Russian response to it was so that if the Ukrainians target again, they may have the playbook for what the Russians will do, or it forces the Russians to scrap their, their playbook response and go with something different because the Russians would be aware that the Ukrainians were, were watching to see what the Russians were doing. So either way, it, it makes a good test case to sort of do it. Um, observe it, understand the reactions to it, and then, you know, game it out with the next steps. Do they need to do more to the bridge? Maybe they don't. Will they, you know, all, all these what ifs. But if I had to say that, I would say, you know, the, the prime thing was Ukrainian was was setting up that mission to see if they could do it and to see what the effects would be, um, whether it's even the effects of the MLRS pods on the bridge itself to see what what it would do. Um, I think all of that is plausible. And I think, uh, you know, my head sets it up as that's a test run to see how the Russians react, to see what the responses are, and to see how the mission from the Ukrainians, um, how effective it was and how capable they were. Um, and from there, they'll, they'll game out their strategy a little bit further and they'll refine it. Um, but that's that's my two cents on it. Thank you, Gurney. Christ-like. I think that's really well put. I mean, it's hard to argue with that. Um, I also don't think, I, I agree with him, I don't think that the battle for Kherson is going to be months and years. I mean, it could be weeks, multiple weeks, like six weeks, five weeks, depending on how aggressive uh, Ukraine is and how staunch the defense on the part of the Russians. But I don't see that being a, you know, a multi-year 
battle. Um, but I don't think I do. I, I could see how this war could last quite a ways longer if if Putin doesn't collapse. I mean, he's made it clear that he's going to hold out for the elections, not just the U.S. elections, all the European elections. He thinks the best way to win it is to win it in the bo- wallets of the Western civilization, you know, Western societies, not to fund this thing. And so I, I just don't see him collapsing unless his economy collapses first, which is why I'm so eager to always hear finance analysis, finance analysis, analysis, because I think that that's going to really predicate whether this goes quickly or not and how thoroughly um, and completely we defeat the Russians, whether this ends up being um, something that drags on like a Cold War for way, way too long. Um but the Kyrgyzstan battle is going to definitely set the tone going forward. And if we have a very positive outcome, uh, Western support of weapons, Ukrainians fighting fiercely, and they get pushed out, it's going to shatter the, the political psyche of Russia. I have no doubt about it. And that was what happened with Wei and the Tet Offensive. Um, yeah, they, there, there were some generals in North Vietnam who thought that, you know, there would be this mass uprising. It never happened. It didn't matter. Uh, within a few months after the battle, uh, Johnson no longer ran for re-election. It totally turned the U.S. election upside down. Every candidate, both Democratic and um, Republican, was opposed to the war. And for all practical purposes, it was just a matter of time at that point of the U.S. pulling out. And I could easily see the same scenario happen with Kersom, that if it's really a resounding defeat, that the shockwaves through the Russian psyche is going to be very, very significant. It may not be obvious to us initially. It may take a while, just like it did in Vietnam. It wasn't obvious. I mean, there was still a lot of protests. There was still a lot of stuff going on in 1968. But by 1970, you would be hard-pressed to find anyone who wanted to continue that war. And I could easily see Russia moving that path and moving it much faster than the U.S. did in the 19, late 1960s and 1970s. So it's going to be worth watching. There's a lot of ways Ukraine can win this without it, uh, w- without it being obvious up, up front. The key is in the West is we've got to support them. And, and if there's any one thing I would emphasize over and over again is it's going to get ugly. We have to be tough. And a lot of speakers have spoken to that. So with that, I'll shut up. Thank you. Thank you, Dryfly. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that, that probably closes that topic. Um, for Lenin, I were thinking that since today, uh, Olena Zelenska, the first lady of Ukraine, was in the U.S. and made a, made a particularly excellent speech. Um, maybe Ferlen could talk about it uh, a little bit and maybe you know, give us some of the highlights and the, ex- and the excerpts, such as she had done before with... Uh, some of her husband's speeches uh, in front of various parliamentary assemblies. Um, Ferlaine, Olena Zelenska, what did, what did she say today uh, to the House of Representatives and Senate, I believe, in a, in a joint session? Yeah, as far as you, I think, you don't, as far as you uh, have heard, Olena Zelenska had come to the White House, I uh, think, yesterday, she started your round of meetings on behalf of her husband and uh, Ukrainian nation overall and uh, obviously today is the day when she was able to get to US Congress and so quoting her speech today I want to address you as politicians and party representatives 
and also as mothers and fathers, grandfathers and grandmothers, daughters and sons. I want to address you not as the first lady, but as a daughter, as a mother. Then she mentioned, uh, you've probably heard the tragedy of four-year-old Lisa, who was killed by a Russian missile uh, during the attack in Vinitsa. And uh, five-year-old Eva that was killed during the attack, she was buried under the rubble in Ochaki, which is actually the place where I had a privilege to spend, I mean, three or four of my summers while I was in high school and secondary school as well. She also pointed out those visitors who came to the shopping mall in Kremenchuk and who weren't alive right now with us because of the terrorist attack of Russian Federation. She mentioned a lot of people, Ukrainians, who were killed, wounded or abducted by Russia. Then quoting, We are grateful that the U.S. stands with us in the fight for our shared values of human life and independence. You help us very powerfully, while Russia, in comparison, killed and America saved. And you should know it, that we are grateful. I'm asking for something now that I never wanted to ask for. I'm asking you for weapons, not to wage war on someone else's land but to protect our home and the right to wake up in it alive. She specifically asked for air defense systems, saying, so that missiles don't kill children in their strollers, so that they don't destroy children's rooms and entire families. The U.S., unfortunately, knows what terrorist attacks are and always strives to defend terrorism, uh, to defeat to defend themselves and defeat terrorism. So help us to stop the terror against Ukraine. And this will be our joint victory. In the name of life, in the name of freedom, and the pursuit of happiness of every person and every family. And then she concluded that this is what I'm asking, and my husband is asking for it, not as a presidential couple, but as parents and as children of their parents. And I hope you heard me today. And I hope that your decision will be quick. So she was trying to appeal not as the government official's wife or the higher up of the country, but as a genuine human being from the role of each of us, because each of us eventually is a mother, a daughter, a sister, a grandchild, someone who we can always relate to. And this is very powerful just to um, address the this human as- aspect of our lives. And obviously, um, from my perspective, just mentioning all of those people who died in this senseless war of whatever you call it right now, this senseless invasion is, is just an- yet another, you know, reminder why are we fighting, what are we fighting for, and who are we here to defend? Yes. 
Thank you, Fernand. Um, you know, I, th I think it's a really good illustration of uh, when people ask, oh, what does, a, what does a first lady mean? What does a first lady even do? Why, why is that even a position? Why is that even a thing? Um, right? Maybe this is why, right? Because there are some things that someone who's not actually an elected official, someone who, you know, perhaps gets to represent the, the every man, or, or rather in this case, every woman, every mother, uh, can convey that an actual elected official maybe could not and couldn't have the platform to uh, to say in the same way, right? Um, Peace for Ukraine, what were your thoughts? Um, I believe Mr. Pickle was before me with his hand, but... Uh, oh, just want to we'll oh, stay, yeah. stay on top. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, thank you. Um, my thoughts were that I didn't uh, see her speech uh, altogether in total, in totality, because uh, I was listening to uh, Secretary of Defense, but uh, I believe her speech spoke to the core of every single mother, and not only in the United States, but of the world. I am not a mother, but I am a sister, and I'm a daughter, and I'm a new living. And I believe her speech speaks for itself, and every single human being who is not touched by their words cannot call him or herself a human being. So those are my thoughts for, and I admire her courage as well as her husband and the entire Ukrainian people uh, that is fighting this fight. It's a, it's an unjust, illegal, horrendous war. And it is our duty as, as human beings to support and join Ukraine in this fight, even if we cannot hold arms to this fight, but we can help Ukraine in other ways. We can help by fighting disinformation, by donating to associations such as Marie to listen to the space, to join NAFO and fight uh, and fight uh, useful idiots and propagandists out there. So yeah, so we do have. We have our virtual weapons, we have our hearts, we have our souls, we have our words, we have our actions. Maybe we cannot, we are not, we are from a more modest family, we cannot do less. Yes, but we can write a word, we can write a word to, to our Congress, to our Parliament, to our government, to our city municipality. We have a spare pair of... Um, of, uh, I don't know, of the gear of from our uncle, our cousin that is no longer in use. Maybe we can go to an association and donate. Maybe we can volunteer to do some work. We can all together. Because a, a, a mountain or a sand dune is not made of just one piece of sand or one piece of rock. It's made of many, many pieces. And so we must build, continue to build maintain our strength and our resilience because we will win this fight together with ukraine and ukrainians they are sisters they are brothers and it's the only duty as a human being to continue to do this fight thank you thank you peace for ukraine um this is why i wanted you to follow up straight after for uh, no, I, I i'm i'm particularly moved by 
where she says that I'm asking you for weapons, something that I, I had never thought that I would be asking for, right? I think that every uh, every uh, mother in the U.S. that's going to hear that speech from her and you know is uh, is going to uh, be very much for helping out Ukraine because that that's why the messenger sometimes matters as well as the message. Absolutely, I totally agree. It was um, the very small part that I, I saw. Actually, I, I've watched it. I listened, but I was more sort of. Um, sometimes you are looking at things, but you're not. Uh, you're not seeing them, and sometimes you are hearing them, but you're not listening. And sometimes a photo or written word, I don't know why, sometimes has more impact uh, in me after I hear or see something. So when I saw uh, the post where she's saying, um, she's saying, I don't know if my child will be able to go to school next year. I don't know if my son will be able to attend his, to pursue his studies. Basically, I don't know what tomorrow brings, and and that is a scary thought for any mother because any mother dreams of the future of his child, dreams has dreams of, I don't know, being small dreams, a new bike, uh, take that child to I don't know to the next park to go to the zoo, be able to just live, exist. And this mother that represents all the mothers in Ukraine right now, she doesn't know what tomorrow brings, even if her child will be breathing the next day. And how can you not be moved by this? How can you deny any help or support to Ukraine when you hear this? I'm sorry. I shut up now. Thank you, Mr. Ukraine. Okay, let's, uh, I guess we can turn back to Mr. Pickle. And, uh, uh, Selimnus, if you have something for us, just, uh, Put your hand up so we know to go to you. Mr. Pickle. Right. I just uh, noticed something and I, I want to address it. Uh, that uh, we have ladies and gentlemen uh, here in the uh, in the uh, group. And uh, uh, maybe even, maybe it's 50-50. I'm not sure. But I would say that, you know, usually ladies are not fan of, fans of war. And the fact that they're here and they're uh, patient enough to listen to us talking about toys, which is like, we like weapons and we like cars and you know and uh, stuff like that and uh, they're here for for a reason they're here to help ukraine uh, even if uh, they have to listen to 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 that so i, I really commend that and uh, thank them for for being here uh, and the other thing is i don't care if they surrender or not they are gonna get defeated proper and uh, uh, that the, yes they actually think different than us uh, and actually, I know how they think. Uh, they don't care about their family, actually. Um, it's it's a me, me, me culture. Um, and Ukrainian culture is actually different. You would see families and uh, very tight. Uh, the reason it's more of an agriculture um, uh, society more than, more, more than uh, people living in Moscow uh, in those high rises and, uh, you know, doing nothing but uh, caring about themselves. So I, I think they actually um, uh, don't care. But uh, it's not like they didn't surrender before. Uh, there's thousands of, uh, of Russian PWs right now that are in captivity, and uh, they surrendered like like any army sometimes surrender. But uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care if they do or not. Uh, I just think they will be 
defeated. And um, I would say the most, um, um, the battle that I would say is more close, close to that would be the battle of Kobani. Um, you, you know, ISIS was a very motivated um, army, their fanatics, and uh, their strategy was just to put bombs on a car and go to checkpoint by checkpoint and blow themselves up. Uh, they took the city with uh, with just that, and and then we took it back by bombing them. The, the the reason why I would say 